Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This episode, and all those before, are forever dedicated to my wife, Allie. I'll see you in the water, my love. The Leviathan Chronicles Season 3 Chapter 50 Found Treasure with U.S. military officials denying any missile launch in Europe following the cancellation of the war game, the U.S. forces remain at higher than a massive explosion of approximately two highly unusual celestial phenomena. As two have been collided and completely accelerated, many people are wondering what the geo-radiation was. The multiple television screens in Terminal A of Newark Airport were all tuned to various national and international news stations. Various theorists and media panel members struggled to explain the launch and detonation of the Arrow missile containing the Seraxian beacon and the Hayon ship that was remotely piloted by Evangeline. The resultant collision and explosion high above Earth's thermosphere was seen by millions of people in Northern Europe and Russia, with both launches tripping ICBM defense warnings and sending every major military power in the world to a state of high alert. Man, the news keeps getting crazier. I don't even believe the CNN reports. A few meters away, the bar at Ruby Tuesdays was completely filled with customers, whose rolling luggage was strewn messily around their seats. I think it was totally a Russian missile. They've already said that the trajectory was all wrong. The two bartenders rushed from each end of the bar to keep up with the demand from impatient customers. It can't be Russian. It was definitely a NASA probe. I heard Elon Musk is behind it. Those that were lucky enough to have a seat spoke anxiously amongst themselves. Great. Now that they've finally opened the airports back up, there's not enough planes to work through the backlog of passengers. I was supposed to be in Cincinnati a week ago. Then I got stuck at JFK for 30 hours. Now they sent me here to Newark. It's, it's just nuts. So stupid. Uh, so how long have you been here? Too long. Whit Roberts didn't lift his head from his beer as he replied to the woman before collecting his carry-on suitcase and navigating through the stranded crowds to exit the bar. He walked tediously down the entire length of the terminal to his Air China gate at the far end of the concourse, pushing a black carbon fiber suitcase in front of him. He only stopped reluctantly at a congested Hudson news store. I'd like to buy a water. Sorry, sir, we're out of water, but would you like to buy any gum or support the troops? Seriously? Fuck off. Sir, sir. After walking another 10 minutes, 
Witt arrived at gate A35, which displayed a monitor indicating that the Air China flight to Shenzhen was now boarding business class passengers. As he started to board, he noticed how the long line of people annoyed him. Damn it. But everything annoyed him now. His mind constantly felt like a hornet's nest, trying to reconcile everything that had failed. All the work, all the risks, all of the sacrifice. Witt looked down at his ticket. Cheap son of a bitch. Should've got me a ticket in first class. The aliens are still coming. Borrowed time. We're all just living on borrowed time. Witt settled into his seat and quickly brought the in-flight magazine to his face. He didn't read any of the words on the pages before him, but the magazine provided a shield from any unwanted attention from the other passengers. Witt noticed that lately being in close proximity to others, especially crowds, made him feel distinctly uncomfortable. Not having to look at each passenger as they boarded the plane allowed Witt to become lost in his own thoughts and what had happened to him in a hospital in Copenhagen three days ago. So we are treating your injuries, but our hospital has a strict security policy to maintain these restraints. We've been through this a thousand times. But sir, you still don't understand. Where we found you, I... I... Your story is impossible. What do you need to understand? I've given you everything. Witt shot forward in his hospital bed, but was restrained by the steel handcuffs that affixed his right hand to the hospital gurney. Your identification doesn't match the Canadian citizen's database. And when we checked Interpol, we found no record of- Just unlock me. As I've explained, I can't- And as I've explained, I've told you there must be some mistake that you or your incompetent staff must have- Excuse me, doctor. You're needed on line five. They said it's urgent. I said unlock me. No. Doctor. Uh, fine. Tell them to hold. I'll be right there. I'll say this one last time. We are treating your injuries. You're lucky to be alive, sir, given the condition you are found in, floating off the coast of Greenland. We have bandaged your ribs, reset the fracture on your legs, and treated your cheek and the gunshot. Flare gun. Given the nature of your wounds, I find that highly doubtful. But nevertheless, in order to discharge you, we must be able to verify your identity. Now, when I come back, I'll bring the hospital administrator to help work out this... this situation. Now, please excuse me. Wit laid back on the exam table, exhausted by the effort of sitting up. He clutched his bandaged left side that contained two broken ribs from where Oberlin's snowmobile collided into him. His cheek was fractured in two places, and he had almost lost several fingers to frostbite. The arrow launched. I saw the arrow launch. If the Seraxian fleet had received the beacon, then their ships must be in orbit by... If only I could figure out if it had activated. Jason, what if we failed? What if we fucking failed? failed? We were humanity's best chance. We were the only ones that had the courage to... Ah! Damn it. Wish I had some sort of goddamn sign. Witt's thoughts were interrupted as the door to his examination room opened, and a tall blonde woman wearing a white coat entered. She brought a small carbon fiber roller bag with her and a large manila envelope. Are you the hospital administrator? No. Are you a doctor? No. Then why are you here? The woman in the white coat tossed the manila envelope onto Witt's lap. It's been watching you. Who's been watching me? It wants to meet you. Look, lady, I don't care that you- In four minutes, the hospital will experience a power failure and all emergency surveillance systems will go offline. At the end of the hallway is an emergency staircase that will automatically unlock. Go to the ground floor. The guards will be summoned away to bring back auxiliary power. 
Look for a black Mercedes sedan. Get in the back seat. You'll be taken where you need to go. What's in the bag? You'll know it when you need it. Wit opened the manila envelope to find a passport, driver's license, global entry, three credit cards, and lastly, a series of airplane tickets. Follow the itinerary. Don't miss your flights. Obey instructions. Who are you? Don't ask questions. The woman stared at Wit with stone eyes. The coldness of the woman's gaze made Wit feel vulnerable and uneasy. The woman in the white coat walked swiftly towards Wit, and with her right hand, Shit. She snapped off the stainless steel chain connecting Wit's handcuffs to his gurney. And with that, the woman in the white coat turned to leave the room, but then abruptly stopped. You'll also need this. The woman tossed Wit a small, soft latex object. Wit looked down and saw that it was a prosthetic ear. Wait, wait! Who are you? Why the hell should I listen to you? Why should I go where you tell me? Because... You have nowhere left to go. Um, excuse me, sir. I'm sorry. I, I believe you're sitting in my seat. I don't think so. I'm in 5C. Yes, I understand, but you're sitting in 5A right now. I believe that's my seat. Oh, sorry. My mistake. That's okay. They really should go from the outside in, like on United. Oh, uh, it looks like you're not your water glass. Damn it! It's no problem. I have a napkin right here. It's no big deal. <laughs> I clean up messes for a living. Oh. And what line of work are you in? Waste management. New York City. The light on Bleecker Street turned green as McAllen also crossed, carrying several shopping bags with logos from some of Manhattan's most expensive boutiques. The bags banged together noisily as she walked a half block south to Bar Pitti, an Italian cafe located on 6th Avenue in Greenwich Village. She entered the restaurant and after a quick scan, uh, saw Tully seated at one of the corner tables. McAllen. As McAllen approached, Tully. Tully rose from his chair to greet her. Hey, how are you? It's great to see you. Great to see you too. How are you? I'm doing good. You? I'm well. I'm doing okay. Well, you look great. Come on, look at you. You look terrific. And I really like your suit. Not bad for a monkey suit. Well, you look like a very handsome monkey. Why, thank you. And your your head, did you... No, no, I'm feeling much better. Dr. Link helped patch me up better than new. Did you um find the place all right? Yeah, 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 no problem. Uh, this place looks great. It looks like you had uh, uh, a productive day. <laughs> yeah, these... Yeah, I had a bit of a girl's day in the city. Astrid and I did a little pampering. A little retail therapy? <laughs> you could say that. Well, God knows the two of you have earned it. <laughs> You're probably right. Here, come on, let's sit down. It's really good to see you, Tully. Thanks for meeting me. Yeah, of course. The pair sat down at the worn wooden table, and the waiter promptly brought them each menus, and then surprisingly, Negroni cocktails that smelled fragrantly of burnt orange. I took the liberty. I can see that. Well, how about a toast? How about it? Well, first of all, it's really great to see you, and I just wanted to say that that you, well, that you and me, we made it through a lot together. Unbelievable things. I didn't know just how much I didn't know about the world around me. I didn't know about keyholes, immortals, or Seraxians. I was just a boat captain. And now I, I, 
I feel like a lot more than a boat captain. And I owe you for that, McAllen. So, thank you. Aww. Tully took a moment to stare at McAllen before he gave the ice cubes a twirl in his glass. McAllen smiled warmly at him and reached out for his hand. You're welcome, Tully. We... I couldn't have done it without you. And listen, I want you to know that I'm sorry about the, about the keyhole with Oberlin. Tully, stop. It was an impossible choice. You did the best you could. And we don't need to talk about it. Okay. Got it. Thanks, McAllen. Fancy place. Fancy guy. Ha! I think we both know that might be stretching the truth. I beg to differ. You look good, Tully. You clean up nice. Yeah, this suit? It's nice, right? Harlequin sent me over to his tailor. This guy Duncan Quinn on Spring Street. Tiny place. First time I'd ever seen a tailor show up on a vintage Ducati. <laughs> typical Harlequin. Yeah, typical. You talked to him lately? A few days ago. I know he's in town. How's he holding up? I think he's struggling. He and Evangeline, they had quite a history. Like, real history. When my dad lost my mom about ten years ago, it, it, it just killed him. He died just a few years later, but he never really figured out how to live again. They were married for 52 years, and he still called her Flower Girl. Oh, why Flower Girl? Was she gardening when he met her? <laughs> no, uh, she was working in a florist shop, arranging a bouquet when my dad walked in. Oh, that's sweet, Tully. Yeah, but I feel bad for Harlequin. It must be unthinkable to lose someone you've loved for centuries. Well, it looks like a lot of unthinkable things are happening. Man, I know. Did you see the news? Jesus, McAllen, we really set the world on fire. We didn't have a choice, Tully. I know, I know, but shit, you think we're gonna go to war? I don't know, I doubt it. The arrow wasn't picked up by radar until it reached high orbit, and there was no launch detection on US soil. China, Russia, India, all know that, but- What? People want answers. I've received reports that certain governments are launching recovery expeditions to find fragments of Haon that fell back down to Earth. You think that it could lead them to discover the Leviathan ruins? It hasn't yet, but it's a race. I've got teams trying to make sure that we find any artifacts before anyone else does. Makes sense. Sounds like a lot of cleanup. Most of life is cleanup, Tully. I get it. Man, the world got tense really quick. At least we still have a world. Thanks to you. Thanks to all of us. I'll toast to that. Well. Enough about saving the world. How are you holding up? You know, it's so weird. I grew up here. I walked on these streets of New York for most of my life. And now, when I think about that part of myself, that time, the world seems so small. <laughs> I've never heard anyone describe New York as small. You know what I mean, Tully. No, no, I do. And now, this new world seems so much bigger. There's so much more to be afraid of, and there's so much to do, and no one around us has any idea. And that's why I worry about you. What do you mean? I mean, it's a pretty lonely station in life if you're the only one that understands what kind of danger we're all in. I'm not alone. I know you're not alone. I'm just saying that sometimes being in charge means not looking after yourself. You mean like being the captain of a ship? <laughs> you're good, McAllen. But to be a captain, I'd need a boat. Not a piece of driftwood from what's left of my boat. Did you actually get a piece of wood from your boat? No, it was made of fiberglass. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I have left is a Hail Mary t-shirt and some past due marina bills. Well, I might have something for you. Well, I like presents. I think you'll like this one. Here. Wow, you got me a card. Gee, you really shouldn't have. Well, I wrote you something very sweet. Open it. 
What? Holy shit, McAllen, what is this? You've gotta be kidding me. This, does this really say five million dollars? Indeed it does. Made out to me? Says that too. M McAllen, this is, this is way too much. I mean, what? It's all the money Senshin gave me. He gave it to me to help me understand that what was happening was real. And now, I want you to know that it was all real too, Tully. It's literally everything I had as McAllen Orsel. You mean when you were mortal? You're still McAllen Orsel. McAllen took a sip of her Negroni and stared back at Tully in silence. So, um, are you an Anton still? Still what, Tully? Do you love him? I haven't seen him in weeks. You didn't answer the question. I'm not sure it's any of your business, Tully. Look, I know what I did. I told you I was- How's Oberlin doing? I love that guy. I miss him. I, I don't really know, to be honest. After everything, you know, settled and we got back stateside, I think the whole experience kind of hit him, especially everything Black Door did when they kidnapped him. That poor guy went through hell. He needs some time, but I think he'll be okay. At least I hope so. Where is he now? I was kind of hoping you could tell me. Me? Well, I know he was heading to Phoenix to see a doctor about his hand. Yeah, I remember. He asked me for an orthopedic recommendation. <sighs> when I spoke to him last week, he said he just wanted some time alone. Said he'd be off the grid for a few weeks. It's not really like him. I mean, I want to give him his space, but I just worry about him. Did he say anything to you about where he was going after Arizona? I'm sure you'll be the first person he calls whenever he gets back. I hope you're right. He's my best friend, a great mechanic, and a good man. I want to make sure he's okay. You're a good man, too. Oberlin chooses his friends wisely. Thank you, McCallum. I appreciate that. Look, about this check, I don't know if... Before Tully could finish his thought, the pair's conversation was interrupted by the commotion caused by a Lamborghini Urus SUV that parked in front of the cafe. A tall, bespectacled blonde woman wearing fitted cargo pants and a white cotton blouse exited and leaned against the car, while several pedestrians did double takes. Yeah, that would be my ride. Shit. Nice ride. I love Astrid, but she has a peculiar definition of the term low-key. Her response was, at least I didn't get it in yellow. Wait, that's Astrid? That's Astrid? She cleans up nice, right? I'll say. You know, yellow might have looked really cool. Don't encourage her. I'll try not to. She looks a lot more comfortable out of her engineering overalls. I heard she saved a lot of lives that day. She did. And she's been really amazing about helping me deal with the aftermath and helping organize where the Leviathan population is now and what our next steps are. What do you mean? Evangeline was worried that our world as it is might not be sustainable. I can't say I blame her, but what does that have to do with you? She was looking ahead, Tully. A thousand years ago, she was looking ahead, and now that's what I need to do. I've got to figure out a plan B for Earth. Jeez. Yeah, Tully. Should we grab another Negroni? <laughs> I just might. Oh, this is Astrid. Oh, shit, I'm sorry, Tully, but I got Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. We're working on no, that. No, no, I understand. <laughs> this was... This was great. I'm really glad we It could. was great. And we should totally do this again. Yeah, right? for sure. So, listen, should we I... Should... Uh... <laughs> See you soon, Tully. Oh, and I actually got you one more thing. I hope you like it. Well, I sure as hell liked the last thing you gave me. Two presents? Come on, McAllen. McAllen reached into one of her shopping bags and presented Tully with a slender brown box tied with a light violet ribbon. Wow, thanks. 
Um, should I open it now? You can open it later. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, well then. Yeah, I've got to go. Goodbye, Tully. Goodbye, McCallan. Good luck, wherever you're going. McCallan leaned in and kissed Tully on the cheek before she turned and walked out of the cafe. Tully peered over his shoulder and squinted to steal one last glance of McCallan. He let himself lean against the entrance of the cafe as the Lamborghini growled to life and pulled away fleetly. Tully stared for a moment at the vacant parking spot before a white Prius swiftly snatched the available space, snapping Tully out of his trance and sending him back to the bar inside. Hey, can I get another Negroni? Sure thing. Tully looked down and considered the last gift that McCallan gave him. He hesitated for the briefest of moments before pulling the violet ribbon, allowing it to fall to the floor beside his feet while he lifted the box's heavy cardboard lid. <laughs> oh my God, McCallan. <laughs> Very funny. Jeffrey Tully felt a small flush of heat rise to his face as he reached inside the box and pulled out a fuzzy pink sweater. You're late. Actually, I was parked outside on time. <laughs> you were the one with the long goodbye. Why are engineers always so accurate? Uh, for the record, he looked good. I know. Oh, I know. That's the problem, Astrid. It would be too hard now with everything. We're too different. Are you, though? Well, one of us is going to be dead in 50 years. One of us isn't. <laughs> wow. That's a sexy way to frame love. No, you know what I mean. Besides... Besides what? Well, you know damn well. I think it means you have a type. And mortal men are no longer it. It would just be too hard. <laughs> you sound like me. How's that? With Chief Denson and myself. I was hoping to ask him to marry me. But I never asked him. I kept telling myself it would be too hard with our jobs and all the responsibility that engineering carried in Leviathan. So what happened? You know what happened. We ran out of time. I'm sorry, Astrid. I'm sorry, too. We all lost someone. Everyone did. And now it's our job to find who did it. Speaking of which, any word from Keitha? No word. Still dark. I tried everything, but I can't get a trace on her. When was her last check-in? Her last report said she was getting close, but had to go silent to prevent getting caught. We lost contact a week ago. Shit. I hope to God she wasn't detected. Doubtful. Keith is methodical, not careless. There's a reason Khan chose her as underchief. Midtown Tunnel or FDR? This time of day, Midtown. Besides, I don't feel like driving by St. Michael's Cemetery along the Grand Central. Got it. The Midtown Tunnel it is. Do you want me to risk issuing a recall signal for Keitha? For a moment, McCallan stared out the window as the Urus inched its way towards the entrance of the tunnel running underneath the East River, linking Manhattan and Queens. If we haven't heard from her in 72 hours, send a search party to extract her. Understood. Do we have any update on the evacuation numbers? How many got out? I updated our records this morning. I'm showing 1,700. That's from a population of 12,000. That's way less than we projected. I warned that it wasn't a perfect projection. Based on the new data, it's safe to infer that some immortals no longer want anything to do with Leviathan. They'll be harder to control. Anton said some of the survivors have made contact with him. They want to join the rebellion. <laughs> what rebellion? Doesn't the rebellion need something to rebel against? 
The war is over. There's a whispered belief that Senshin had discovered a means to perpetuate immortality. So they'd rather believe in a dead guy than what we might offer them. Dead guy is easier. You can deify him or make him a martyr. It's a lot easier than listening to us say that we need to rebuild. Speaking of which, we need to make a decision about Davos. I've been giving it some thought. I have an idea, but I still need to work out some of the details. Uh, for now, go ahead and arrange the Davos meeting in January. Get the word out to all of the immortal population. All of them. Even the ones that want to break away. Tell them we have a plan to develop a synthetic Starstone wave. Understood. But, McKellen? Yeah? Do we actually have a plan? We will by January. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. Why is that? Because, Astrid, this meeting will tell us far more about our enemies than it will our friends. Ooh, make a turn here. The GPS says the Van Wick is the fastest to JFK. Rookie move. Stay right. Take Metropolitan Avenue. Got it. Were you able to take care of the Dublin tickets? Done and delivered. And this is for you. Your itinerary, new IDs, visas, and contact list are inside. Good work. Now I need to talk to you about who we have on the biology side to help. For the next 45 minutes, McAllen and Astrid went over the survivor lists. Because the pressure shield collapse occurred concurrently with the evacuation of the city, not every ship received the rendezvous coordinates on the surface. News continued to be hard to come by, with no centralized leadership or location for the immortal population. Soon, the two women passed under a highway sign for the entrance to JFK Airport. All right, we're here. Damn, looks busy. Well, since they reopened the airports, there's a stampede to get out. I'm telling you, they should limit the family members saying goodbye. Why does it take a family of five to say goodbye to one grandmother and take up two parking spots? Because she needs five reminders to not bring any liquids on board. Hey! This is unloading! Keep moving! Come on! Don't break my balls! We're unloading now, okay? Jeez! McAllen raised an eyebrow at Astrid. I love how you surprise me, Astrid. <laughs> it's a pleasure, ma'am. McAllen shoved the folder into her carry-on bag and then turned to face Astrid. <sighs> thank you. Seriously, thank you, Astrid, for everything. I'll miss you. I believe in you, McAllen. Oh, that's good, because I really believe in you, Astrid. And I'm going to need you by my side if we're going to actually accomplish this. Even Evangeline never tried something this big before. And if anyone finds out, then the entire world will come after us. I know the risks, and I'm with you. It's the only way. Goodbye, McAllen. Goodbye, Astrid. And good luck in South America, McAllen. I hope you find what you're looking for. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Later that day... A gelid wind raced across the choppy surface of the New York harbor, cutting through the narrow canyons of the financial district. <sighs> Lizette Manzabiel winced from the cold as she exited the rear of her black Lincoln town car at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in downtown Manhattan. She reached back inside the car to grab a small bag she had brought with her from the Upper East Side. She said nothing to the uniformed liverymen that opened the immense hotel doors for her, walking straight to the elevator bank and pressing the button for the 38th floor. Entree. Merci. Hello, Harlequin. Hello, my love. Won't you come in? Harlequin stood in the marble foyer, leaning against the wall, wearing a black cashmere v-neck sweater and a pair of faded selvage jeans. His face looked tired, and he had a tumbler glass held loosely in his left hand. Thank you for coming so quickly. Thank you for calling me. Uh, my apologies. Your coat? I'll keep it. Thank you. As you wish. You look well. As do you. So... So... Lizette was surprised, Harlequin. but gratefully accepted Harlequin's sudden embrace. I'm sorry. I'm... I'm glad to see you. It's good to see you too. I know you've been busy since, well, since everything happened. I've kept myself occupied. Are you alone here? I'm not alone here. I have you, Lisette. Do you like the place? Well, it's not your usual hotel. You normally like to stay closer to the park, no? If I can't bring myself to change hotels, then... <sighs> anyway, I, I wanted to look at the water. Come. It won't help you, you know, keeping your jacket on. You can still leave on a moment's notice. Permission is granted to flee, Lizette. Lizette's face smirked at Harlequin's intrusive insight after reluctantly deciding to hang her faded army jacket on the gleaming chrome hooks in the foyer. She raised her chin slightly before following Harlequin into the living room of the penthouse suite. She was immediately struck by the floor-to-ceiling windows that opened onto a small outdoor terrace overlooking Ellis and Liberty Islands. Tugboats, freighters, and the Staten Island Ferry hurried through New York Harbor as the day wound to a close. Not a bad view, right? There's some Bordeaux on the table. Anything harder is in the cabinet. No, thank you. When did you arrive? Oh, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, no, I, Thursday, I think. Unless it was Wednesday. Harlequin, how are you doing? 
honestly. Harlequin gazed at Lizette and opened his mouth to speak before turning away to open the sliding balcony doors. Come, join me. The pair stepped out onto the terrace, and Lizette could smell the not-too-distant salt in the air from the harbor where the Atlantic met the Hudson River. You look well, my love. You're avoiding the question. How are you? Oh, I'm well, I suppose. You know that New York always suited me. Did you hear that the new 2nd Avenue subway expansion will open soon? Think of it, a mystical tunnel to whisk us from Yorkville to the luscious pastrami of Katz's without having to endure the indignity of sunlight. I'm not playing a game, Holoquin. I'm here because I'm worried for you. You're here because I called you. Otherwise you wouldn't have been able to find me. No games. Just please talk to me. About what? Evangeline? Myself? About Leviathan being destroyed, and everyone you knew and loved within it. Ha, huh, Leviathan. Didn't mean much to me, Lizette. I was always something of an outcast. I don't know much about the city, but I know it meant more than that to you. Harlequin paused and tried to hold Lizette's gaze, but the sensation was too much. He was forced to pretend to see something far away on the horizon of the water. There was always something comforting about knowing that there was a stalwart of light to counterweight the growing evil and disconnection in the world. You mean Leviathan? I mean her. And now that's gone. I didn't love Leviathan because it was my dream. I loved it because it was her dream. She was better than I was. I only cared for those that I loved. She cared for and tried to protect everyone, even even the people she didn't love. Now I fear that the world and humanity are the lesser. There is still hope, Harlequin. Ha! I used to believe that when I was still a country priest in Scotland, before Evangeline, Bennu and Angus Mackay found me. Now I don't believe in hope. I believe in patterns. Patterns that repeat themselves over time. Before she died, I thought that together we could create something new. A new pattern. I loved her so much. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry too. I always thought there would be more time for us to reconcile. Well, that's always the arrogance of immortals, isn't it? What is? Time. We were seductively lured into believing that our time was some endless resource to never be exhausted. What fools we were, Lisette. What a fool I was. I know how much you loved her. I'm sure she knew it too. I miss her, Lisette. I miss her so much. Harlequin continued to stare out onto New York Harbor and almost didn't feel Lisette walk closer behind him and take his hand in hers. So, I know Christmas is still a month away, but I got you a small present. A little something to cheer you up. Stand there, please, against the wall. And don't move. Lizette handed Harlequin a brightly colored aluminum lunchbox featuring Batman swinging above Gotham City alongside Robin. He flipped the two metal latches on the side, revealing several small pastries wrapped in cellophane beside a plastic thermos featuring the Batmobile under a full moon. Lizette, you made me cookies. Bourbon molasses with mint yogurt icing. Your favorite. My heaven, your memory is excellent. Was this the old lunchbox you had as a child in Paris? Yes. 
Keep looking. There's more. Harlequin examined the lunchbox even more fastidiously before unscrewing the plastic thermos and allowing a gleaming silver watch to fall into his hands. The set. This is a Patek Philippe Calatrava in platinum. Oh, and with a lunar and date complication, this is gorgeous and ungodly expensive. You really shouldn't have. I stole it. Oh, then you really shouldn't have. Do you like it? Of course, I, I love it. But now I feel bad. I didn't steal anything for you. That's all right. I'm just glad you really like it. More than like, I'm, I'm quite smitten by it. I truly find it charming. Charming? It's been a long time since anyone called me charming. Oh, not you. You're long past charming. Vexatious, maybe. Or perhaps Rapscallion is more like it. I meant the watch, my dear. <laughs> okay. Then tell me, what makes the watch charming? Look here, Lisette. It's all about the gears and cogs, you understand. There's a gentle humanity to their movements. An elegance to each piece's correlation to one another. The way the minute hand moves, or this beautiful lunar complication where an artist thought to paint tiny bits of yellow starlight. Yes, I see its beauty. It's more than beautiful, Lizette. It's comprehensible. I don't have to look at the inner workings to understand the watch. I know the movements are secure within the safety of the platinum case. I can follow the energy of the springs to travel through the cogs, and even if there are some that are smaller than my eyes can see, I can still comprehend its entirety. I can relate to how one gear touches another, the entire mechanism connected, harmonious. That disgusting Apple Watch of yours, Lizette, what's really going on inside of it? It dazzles us with its brilliance while leaving us unable to connect to its source. We think we understand what all of our screens tell us, but we know nothing of what the information itself is made. In the end, we are left knowing nothing. Um, I'm, I'm sorry she's gone, Harlequin. You were so careful to never tell me about your past. I never understood how close the two of you were. I never knew that you still loved her. It's so hard to understand how she can't actually be here. That she's not part of this world anymore. I just... She should be here. She should be... with me. He turned away from Lisette and looked down over the ledge of the balcony to the sidewalk that lay 38 stories below. Come with me to Paris. Paris? What in God's name would I do in Paris? You could be brave. Pass. You could drink wine. That's true. I could drink some rather nice wine on the left bank. Come to Paris. You don't need to walk alone. Paris. It could be a new life. Join us. Us? You do know what I'm going to ask next. Chloroquine is fine. We're, um, together now. So you're shacking up and living in sin together. I like it already. And what, pray tell, will the two of you do in the City of Lights? We've decided to set up shop. We'll be starting a security firm. <laughs> a security firm? 
talk about the patients running the asylum. We are security and intelligence consultants for hire. We help our corporate clients establish secure electronic networks and construct robust firewall protection coupled with a complete physical evaluation of all facilities to offer both active and passive anti-theft and apprehension countermeasures. And with such inside knowledge you gain the most up-to-date information as to the world's best security systems at the most innovative companies. I wonder what someone with a larcenous heart could do with such valuable insight. I'm afraid I couldn't tell you. No, of course not. Tell me about the boy instead. He's not a boy, Harlequin. Then tell me about your lover, young Clurican. Do you love him, Lizette? I don't know. Love wasn't something I spent a lot of time thinking about in between your mandatory lock-picking and jujitsu classes. God, you could always throw an impressive crescent kick. <sighs> I'm not a kung fu toy for you to collect and admire. Can't you see that for once? Of course you're not, Lisette. You know, I... When you were growing up, it was one of the first times that I had to be responsible, truly responsible, for another human being. And I thought if I trained you, then you could be safe. If you knew how to pick a lock and de-zone a laser field, then I could have you with me when I went away on assignment. I wanted to leave you with a skill set, a means to provide for yourself so that you'd never have to depend on anyone, in case I wasn't around. Look, it's not that... I will always be grateful to you. Look at where you found me. You'll always be a hero to me. I'm chilled, Harlequin. Yes, let's go inside. Harlequin took Lizette's hand and led her back inside the living room of the suite where the fire had softly diminished. Its incandescent glow and deep heat still permeated the room, warming the back of Lizette's legs. Harlequin closed the door to the balcony and retreated into his bedroom before returning with a brown suede duffel bag that was slung over his shoulder. Your bag is packed. Where are you going next? Zurich. I'm going to see an old acquaintance. Mortal or immortal? Come now, Lisette. You know I don't discriminate. Of course you do. You enjoy the company of mortals much more, especially mortal women. I said I'm seeing a friend, not a woman. Is it difficult for you to be friends with women? Only ones that ask incessant questions. Does your friend know you were alive during the French Revolution? She does. So, she is a woman. That's really not why I asked you to come here. No. You asked me here for a job. Nothing more. You see, while I was in Madrid recently, I did a little shopping. I bought something for a friend of mine here in New York. Bought or stole? The point is that I'd like you to give it to this person. Deliver it to their hotel room later. It's a bit of a surprise, you understand. Harlequin reached into his duffel bag and pulled out a stainless steel tube about two and a half feet in length. He handed the cylindrical container to Lizette. A delivery job? Yes. It's a small gift for a seafaring friend of mine. They're staying at the Crosby Hotel in Soho, room 618. I know for a fact that their room will be empty for the next few hours. Just leave the package on the bed. Think you can handle that, Lisette? I can handle that. Excellent. Excellent. You know, it is really good to see you, Lisette. I'm not sure I ever properly thanked you for saving my life when I escaped from Leviathan. Thank you for everything you've done for me, my love. Raising you made me a better man, Lisette. I didn't expect. I... Good luck in Paris. I'll try to stop by on my way back from Zurich. I'd like that. 
Harlequin couldn't resist smiling as he looked down at Lizette. He reached over to grab Lizette's olive green army jacket and helped her place it on before leading her to the foyer of the hotel suite. Goodbye, my love. Au revoir. Lizette reached for the door handle to leave, but then paused. Don't you need to give me the room key for this hotel delivery? Harlequin stood near the balcony with his back to Lizette, intently watching the swollen sun dip below the horizon of New York Harbor, creating a dark silhouette of the Statue of Liberty and setting the fragile sky ablaze with long streaks of magenta and scarlet. My dear Lizette, since when did you ever need a room key? listening to the conclusion of season three of the Leviathan Chronicles. Please support us by purchasing the director's cut at leviathanchronicles.com or click the link in the show notes for immediate download. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Lepupka, produced by Robin Shaw, produced and musical composition by Luke Allen, directed by Nobi Nakanishi, starring Kim Donovan as McAllen Orsall, Laura Post as Evangeline Liefrich, Matthew Shale as Jeffrey Tully, J.P. Higgins as Oberlin Sinclair, Adam Block as Anton, John Frieda as Jason Sterling, Tom Falcone as Whit Roberts, Claire Dodine as Lizette Manzabille, William T.N. Hall as Harlequin, Karen Heyman as Rebecca Van Alt, Stephanie Comor as Astrid Ansler, David Alt as Mayor Sinter, Ben Burgess as Chloracan, Emma Canalise as Keitha Watson, and Samantha Parker as the narrator. For a full cast list, please visit our website at leviathanchronicles.com. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. ¡Van para acá! ¡Sálquense de la lluvia! Bienvenidos al Paragonia. Me llamo Miguel. Está muy seco. Yo voy a aprender el calentón. Gracias, señor. ¡Ay, caramba! Perdóname de estas tormentas. El año pasado casi no había ninguna lluvia. Mi prójimo, que tenía unos chivas, dos se murieron de sed. Este año tenemos una tormenta muy mala. No va a parar por una semana. 
Si no es una cosa, es otra. Yo me preocupé del tren porque no llegó en tiempo. Tú sabes, a lo mejor algo pasó en el pueblo de Santiago porque había muchas actividades militares allá. Tú sabes, había muchas cosas extrañas pasando, como luces parando en los cielos. Y las naciones, ellos dijeron que no fueran ellos. Yo siento en mi mente que no somos locos. Algo estaba pasando muy extraño. Nosotros miramos todo. No podemos echar mentiras. Sin embargo, nosotros sabemos que el gobierno echa mentiras. <risa> el único modo que no fueran ellos es que empezó del espacio exterior. Es una locura. <risa> que sufran más es la gente normal. Y los viajes para salir están cerrados totalmente todo. No podemos salir. Mira, yo tengo unos prójimos. Uno vive en Miami y el otro vive en Atlanta. Los dos fueron en jet para visitarme. En medio del viaje, el gobierno mandó que el avión se quedaba en Bogotá. Y ahí se quedaron mis prójimos por una semana. Ya es muy extraño. Ándale, ándale. Perdóneme, pero este camión... Ay, ay, es muy delicada poner los cambios más bajas. El pueblo Codares, ellos no mantienen sus caminos. Y el agua de la tormenta, hay veces que destruye los caminos. Pero yo pienso que todo va a estar bien, porque ayer caminé por el mismo camino y todo va más o menos mejor. No te preocupes. Mi hermano me ayudó. Ponemos el motor de diesel. Y con eso sí anda bien, suave. El único problema es la transmisión. No podemos comprar la transmisión porque se cuesta mucho dinero. Pero por mientras, andamos así, porque el troca se tiene buena suerte. <risa> ah, mi troca. Disculpe, este hoy es muy grande. El camino es muy estrecho. Con este camino, no vamos a tener más batallas. No tenemos mucha distancia. Ya mero llegamos al casa. Esa casa tiene un cerco con verja. No hay muchas casas así. Este lugar, yo me asombro. ¿Quién vive ahí? Pero yo me digo mismo, no son negocios de ti. Yo no sé cuántos días te vas a quedar ahí. Pero cerca de la casa hay un lago y tiene muchos pescados. El semana pasado, mi hijo estaba pescando y le tocó un pescado de 7 libras. Y estaba peleando por una hora. Y yo le grité, no te rindes, mi hijo, no te rindes. Yo te voy a dar socorro. Y yo voy a ayudarle a ganar la batalla con ese pescado. Y tenemos un cena bien sabroso. Órale, aquí estamos. Ojalá que todo va bien con ustedes. Puedo caminar desde aquí. Gracias, señor. Era un placer servirte. Manténete seco. Adiós. Mucho cuidado. Hi. I came over to borrow a cup of sugar. McCallan! Anton, how are you? Oh my god. So good to see you. Oh, look at your face. Oh, your poor face. The gardener says it's an improvement. Well, I don't know how he can tell. Half your face is covered in bandages. <laughs> it's not so bad, really. Just don't make me laugh. <laughs> Stop it! What? I'm not doing anything! God, it's good to see you, McAllen. I've missed you. 
Did you find the place okay? Yeah, yeah, the driver was right at the station. It was no problem. Thank you for coming. Thank you for showing me this place. I like seeing this side of you. Sorry the place is in such a state. Drink? Drink. Come out with me to the veranda. I'll make you the best pisco sour in Chile. The veranda? Yes. I want to show you something. Oh my god. Oh, Anton, it's beautiful. The lake? It's like a tiny teardrop surrounded by these mountains. And the way it reflects the moon? Oh, it's so gorgeous. And that glacier over there? Wow. Is this what you wanted to show me? No. Then what? This. Mmm. That was worth the trip. That was worth being punched in the face by a mutant. Oh, sweetie, you look so beat up. What did the doctor say about your eye? Too early to tell. We still need to wait for the swelling to go down. I'm more worried about your throat. You took a hell of a beating from that son of a bitch. You know, it was... It was worth it, McCallum. I know it came at a huge cost, but you rid the world of someone that was hell-bent and capable enough to destroy it. That's gotta feel worth it. It should be enough, but it isn't. It's not why. I know how much Othello meant to you. More than a brother. Othello had a rough upbringing. He saw a lot of killing growing up. But he loved Leviathan so much. What it stood for. When he rebelled, most of us felt a sense of elation when we reached the surface. We relished the freedom of being unfettered to live our lives how we pleased. But Othello? He always held out hope that we could reconcile. That we could still go home one day. Because for him... Leviathan was home. It was a special place. It was. We're also now far weaker than we've ever been. How many of us are left? Still unclear. Less than 2,000. I need you to look at some of these reports I had Astrid and Keitha generate. It shows the estimated survivors from Leviathan and their suspected locations. There's also footage of a rogue mech that we think is under the control of the Maddox virus. We still have enemies out there, Anton. And I worry they might be more dangerous than ever. Killing Sterling and the Seraxians was the first step, but the fucking world is still on fire. I saw the news before coming here. It's frightening to watch the fallout of what we did. We had no choice. But with Leviathan and Evangeline gone, and all the immortals scattered across the globe, we're also now far weaker than we've ever been. Then we need to put our heads together and be smart. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.